And now it's that time again where we talk with Brian Smith and Errol Smith about quirky news stories. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. G'day, David. G'day, David. Talking about the presidential elections, as we often lapse into in this program, we seem to do, there is a story out of America. Now, it's put together by the Car Talk people. They were lovely two brothers. Sadly, one died of Alzheimer's that used to put on this show, was syndicated all over America. Very popular, so very funny, very clever and witty in its way. But they've surveyed, polled 10,000 people and asked them two simple questions. What car do you drive and what candidate do you hope is elected president? And they've got some very, very interesting results. Gentlemen, do you think there might be a link between the two? Is this going to be our real polling? I can't see the point. I would have thought their money could be better spent doing anything but asking them what car they drive and what candidate they like. The thing I like, right? Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton supporters get the cars get about 28.5 miles per gallon, whereas Republican candidates uh, and, and particularly Trump supporters are just 23.6 miles per gallon. Uh, some of the other Republicans are around the 24. They've got more money, David, so they just don't care. But they're the rolling coal kind of fraternity, aren't they, David? I think we see that um, 86% of electric car owners would vote for a Democrat and only 14% for a Republican. So, yes, yeah, there, is, there are definite... Um, I mean, we know that cars say things about people and to people. So, so in a sense, the Americans have freedom of speech, and one of the ways they indulge in speech is by the vehicle that they choose and the way they drive it and how they behave. So... So it's, it's no surprise, I suppose, that those people who share Republican values are more likely to drive the Dodge Durango or the Ford Explorer than a Toyota Prius. I think Dodge is, in fact, the favourite brand for Donald Trump. But the interesting thing is that correlation or causation, if it was causation, then you'd just make everyone buy an electric car and we'd have a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if, if there's a simpler answer, which is, is based more around where they live, because Maybe. where you live can, yeah. can determine what kind of car you're more likely to, to purchase. Uh, if you're in a you know, hilly area down in Texas with bad roads, you might be more likely to get an SUV. I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the other aspect, rather than um, you know, giving people electric cars and, and then having Democrats elected, is, is possibly give everyone an electric car and then the Republican side basically uh, invade an oil-producing country. <laughs> I like that you can, you can sort of, for the left-leaning, can be sort of the left-lane oh, drivers. Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're on the conservative side, whereas the, uh, the right-wing is more of the, your right-lane overtaking hoon. I like the fact that Clinton fans apparently are steady performers and not particularly flashy. That's Hillary Clinton, of course, not yes. Bill Clinton. Talking about flashy. Yeah. Brian, a religious story. David, have you ever heard of um, the Pastafarians or the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster? It was a, a phony uh, sort of religion that was uh, created um, not so many years ago, 2005, uh, as a spoof against some of the more bizarre beliefs of other religions. And um, people started taking to, in a joking way, aligning themselves with the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster and calling them Pastafarians. And one of the amusing elements of being a Pastafarian is, is the wearing of a colander on your head. So, uh, of course, the colander used to drain spaghetti. So some people started 
insisting that they um, ought to be able to have a photograph of themselves with a colander on their head on their driver's license because you know their religious freedom would be uh, impeded if they um, they weren't able to do this. Well, in Russia, a pastafarian has uh, has sort of found himself hoist on his own colander as um, the Russian um, the Russian authorities have have set, agreed reluctantly agreed. Yes, you may wear a colander in your driving license photo, and in fact, he for some reason his uh, partner knitted him a knitted colander. So he, he's had his photograph taken with the colander, and the and the um, the police have said, well. You need to wear this now because this is represents who you are in the car. So, if you're stopped and you're not wearing your colander, your license will be taken away because the picture on the license would not show him as he is. So, um, <laughs> bit of a, a outmaneuvered there, David. I think that's I think that's a lovely response. <laughs> Everyone should do that because it's monumental waste of time. You know, a ridiculous waste of time. I wonder, though, do, do they apply the same rule to other people from other well, religions if they're wearing their, their headgear of whatever they're... I they're... suspect not. Well, if you're wearing a dog collar, do you have to do that? I mean, clothes make you look different. If I wear dark colours, my face looks pale. Should I therefore do that? What if I'm wearing a beard or earrings or piercing? Yes. What happens if I have a facelift? Or grow a beard. It's a simple thing that you suddenly... Uh... It's a real trial of faith, really, isn't it? That uh, you've got to wear this thing. I, and, of course, the burqa. I mean, how do you take a picture of that? I, and what, what, I don't know what the rules are at the moment. If you claim that you always want to wear a burqa, I mean, that could be anybody underneath. That's true. And the, mm. the, the photograph, the licence the photograph, is of a person in a burqa. So... Um, yeah, you've got to prove your identity in other ways, I suppose. But uh, but I, I like seeing this, these people outmaneuvered, this silly folk wasting people's time. I noticed that this knitted colander is bright yellow. So I, I thought it was just a safety thing. It was sort of doubling as high-vis gear. Okay. <laughs> not, not a piece of protective equipment. I don't think it's going to save his head much. <laughs> I wonder if he would wear it on a motorbike. When you're riding a motorbike, the other there's another photo of a English fellow who, uh, who the, the Department of Motor Vehicle Licensing uh, wrote to him and said, "Look, um, they may do this in other countries, but the just does not mean the UK has to follow suit. They basically, you know, your license is a valuable document. Please don't take the piss." It's basically what they've said to yes. him. But uh, you know, if you've got a metal colander balanced on your head, how would you fit that under your motorcycle helmet? That's true. I think that's a very good point. Now, Errol, you have a story. Well, McLaren, David, they're not exactly known for making practical vehicles. More like expensive, impractical, but very, very fast supercars. And, of course, the odd F1 race car. However, McLaren's press release for the new 570 GT is full of words like practical, luxurious, relaxing, and comfortable uh, apparently, it's practical because it has a boot, if you can call it that, with a side-opening glass lid reminiscent of the uh, E-Type Jag. It's comfortable because they put in electric seats. It's luxurious because it has a sunroof. And it's relaxing because they toned down the exhaust note a bit and put some fancy tyres on that are a little bit quieter than the usual ones. But it's all pretty token effort because this thing will still get you to 100 k's an hour in 3.4 seconds and hit a top <laughs> speed of over 326 kilometres an hour, uh, all the while draining $300,000 
from your wallet. A practical car, that's almost a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Uh, I mean, exotic cars are suffering for your ple- pleasure, which sounds almost sadomachanistic, isn't it? The thing, I've driven a little Lotus, and I stopped at a hotel, and uh, there was a few people around, mainly from television and that, and I got out of the car. I looked very good driving up to it. I got out of it, and I left them laughing. Because <laughs> I ended up sort of on the ground, you know, sort of getting getting out of the vehicle. Unwieldy to get in and out of, aren't they? Yeah, and this this reminds me of the uh, the F-Type Jag, uh, which, which we drove not that long ago, and it's got a similarly, you know, paltry boot being mocked by people like uh, top gear and that uh, uh, severely mm. uh, by the way we are having a uh, f-type jag convertible on the f- uh, to test in a few weeks time oh, very nice i just thought i'd mention that um we'll keep our eye out for that as well the next thing you know mclaren will be building an suv of course Yes. Uh, which, well, the, the rest of them seem to be. Well, the Geneva Motor Show, Maserati has come out with their SUV. Yes. Lamborghini is talking about their SUV. They're recognising who are the real buyers of their brand. Yeah. Well, and you want practicality? Look, I don't mind practicality. People say, what car would you buy if you had all the money in the world? My favourite at the moment is a Kia Carnival People Mover. <laughs> You can fold the seats down easy, you can throw bikes in the back, you can put an extra few kids in. The idea of having a two-seater that you've got to duck your head, push your hips and drop your bum to try and get into the thing is not, you know, maybe you do it once a year, but the practical car, I'm, I'm going that way completely. Now, Brian, you have a story. David, certainly car manufacturers are increasingly um, and rapidly rolling out Autonomous technology, the, the sort of uh, smarts that help you to do things. You, you can get a car now that will, um, that, uh, you know, will, will stay in the lane, will, will uh, break itself to avoid hitting into other cars. So, um, yeah, they're demonstrating some really interesting technology. And, and some car manufacturers have been looking at park assist. Well, Nissan has just, uh, and it's not April, Nissan's sort of come out in March <laughs> to say that... Uh, that they're rolling out a, a product called an intelligent parking chair. And uh, the idea being that uh, you use the chair and then when you get out of it, the chair returns to its place, a desk or a conference table, it's, it's home, all by itself. So the idea is there's a roller which uh, moves uh, 360 degrees. It's paired with a system that indicates the target. Uh, and a bunch of cameras on the f- ceiling of the room produce a bird's eye view to sort of transmit the chair's position and provide a route to its destination. So it, possibly they've got their tongue in their cheek on this thing, but uh, I can certainly see that they might want to demonstrate a self-parking car. I'm not convinced about the the practicality of a self-parking chair. Well, Brian, you live in an environment at work which has... No desks specifically for people. You can you wander around and you sit and you talk to people and you set yourself up there. Perhaps your chair could follow you. Okay, so your personal chair just uh, comes to where you are. Yeah, so you come come to work and sort of whistle, here, Fido. But you know, I can do that. I can if I have a favourite chair, I can just walk over. I can wheel it over to my chair using the legs that I've had to use anyway to to get into the office. I thought it was sort of a way for Americans to get from the couch to the fridge. <laughs> but that's more an autonomous chair that's, with self-driving. That's why they put wheels on chairs anyway, I think, wasn't it? 
allow people to push themselves around. I'm not sure how often your chair actually comes from behind your desk anyway, but perhaps it could be a way of arranging chairs in, say, a conference hall. I'd be worried someone could hack them, though, David. And, yeah. uh, and you know, you, you sort of... Um, <laughs> Spin you yeah, around right, three times. Take you somewhere you don't want to go, or perhaps you know, up to HR to talk about that incident. Or, you know, you, you stand up and someone sweeps the chair out from under you remotely. It just, well, just as you're about to sit down. Yes. yes. Disaster. You know, if you're setting up a hall, you could put all, you know, get all the chairs there. In fact, you could do it more cleverly. Everyone tends to sit towards the back and what have you. Ah, get the chairs on, yeah, only right. to come out in the front row. As soon as that's full, the next set of chairs, like a military band, march into place. Da- David, I would like it to intelligently arrange itself so that the tallest people were at the back of the room. <laughs> I love it. It can do it, I believe. I think that's a perfect example. Yes, and, and, and anyone who's using a um, like like an iPad or similar tablet computer as a camera, um, they just go. They just get pushed out the back door. <laughs> well, the other thing is, if you're sitting in a play or a concert and your mobile phone goes off, it whisks you out mm. before before you can do anything, and it will not return. Yes, ever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, that is always very good. You know, I enjoy our conversations. Thanks very much for your time. You're welcome, there David. Is David. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith, and we were talking the more unusual, quirky stories to do with motoring and transport.